Every year, the Oxford Dictionary comes up with a word of the year. This is a word that, according to the Oxford Dictionary, best captures the mood, the spirit, the ethos, the zeitgeist of the year. So guess what the word of the year was for 2018? Drum roll, please. Thank you. The word of the year for 2018, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is toxic. Toxic. And the people who gave the award said toxic. Well, that best takes in where we are. You open your door, you open the newspaper, you open your iPad, you turn on the TV, you listen to the radio, you walk outside into the world, and the word that best captures the world, toxic, according to the Oxford Dictionary. It explained toxic is used in a wide variety of ways. The environment is toxic, and relationships and culture and politics and the state of the national conversation and the drip, drip, drip of the daily news, all toxic. Now, we don't need the Oxford Dictionary's word of the year to know this. We know that when we walk into the world, there is a lot of negative energy out there. So I want to ask you a single question this morning. If the world out there is toxic, do you have a counterworld that is not toxic? Do you have a counterworld that is the opposite of toxic? Do you have a counterworld that is whole and holy and uplifting? Do you have a counterworld where you feel safe and sound, seen and heard, valued and loved? This is the drama for us, but this is the drama for the Israelites in the second and third books of the Torah. After all, the Israelites live in a toxic environment. They are in the wilderness, which is hot and dry and endless. They're always thirsty. They're always hungry. There's never enough water. There's never enough food. Every grain of sand is the same. Every day is the same. Times 40 years. Now, what do they do? They create a counter world, an alternative to their toxic wilderness. So, if the wilderness is a lot of drab sand, in their counterworld, the Mishkan, it's full of color. Red and purple and blue and diamonds and gold and acacia wood. Color, an alternative counterworld. If in their wilderness, toxic world, they're always hungry, always thirsty, always worrying about surviving, in their counterworld, they're thinking about higher order things like aspirations and guilt when they don't meet their aspirations, and gratitude. So here's my question for you this morning. Do we have, or if we don't, can we create 
a helpful, useful counterworld to the toxic world outside. If the toxic world drives people apart, can we create a counterworld that brings people together? If the toxic world knocks people down, a gotcha culture, dripping with judgment, can we create a counterworld that lifts people up? If the toxic world is full of negative energy that drains, can we create a counterworld that is full of positive energy, love and grace that renews and restores? So here's what the Torah says about a counterworld. You can get it if you build it. That's who builds the Israelites' counterworld, the Israelites, not God. And the same applies. We can get our counterworlds if we create it. So here's what I want to do. I want to list four counterworlds. These are very effective. I've seen them with my own eyes. They really work. Now I'm going to ask each of you to think about, are you living in this counterworld? And if you are, that's fabulous. And how can you deepen it? And if you're not, how can you create this counterworld? Here's the first counterworld. The first counterworld is a gym. It's a place of health and life and fitness. Don't forget your health. Don't forget your strength. Don't forget your life. There's a specific mitzvah called Shmirat Haguf, taking care of your body. The psalmist says it, Lo hametim hallelujah, the dead do not praise God. And so no excuse to be so busy that you don't have this counterworld where you find a space and a place and a time. It's holy. It's a zaman kavua where your agenda is to take care of your health and strength in life. Now, I saw a very vivid example of what this looks like. A few weeks ago, Shira and I went to visit our daughter, Jordana, in Los Angeles. She's 24, and we met a bunch of her friends who are in their 20s. Now, if you happen to know 20-somethings, this is not an easy age. 20s can be a challenging age. 20-somethings have a lot to figure out. What they're going to do for a living, where they're going to live, looking for a life partner. Many 20-somethings move from city to city and from job to job, from partner to partner. It's hard, lonely, often being a 20-something. Many live far from home and far from their support structures. That's why David Brooks calls these years the odyssey years. They're moving around. They, they've not settled. So we're meeting a bunch of 20-somethings, almost none of whom are from Los Angeles, like our daughter's not from Los Angeles. They're in the odyssey years. And they have a counterworld. It's an amazing counterworld. It's a really important part of their life. It's called Soul Cycle. They go several times a week, and they pedal, and they spin, and they come out drained, and they come out renewed and restored. So here's the first counterworld. Do you have your own version of Soul Cycle? Your own space where you put your own life and your own health and your own fitness first. Don't be too busy to put your own health and your own strength and your own life and your own fitness first. That's the first counterworld. Here's the second counterworld. Do you have a counterworld at work where you feel 
like this is just an amazingly beautiful place. I want to go to work because the environment there is so whole and holy and good. Now, there's a challenge, might as well name it, and I think I have a response to this challenge, which is, if you're just an employee, how do you shape that kind of culture? If you're just a lawyer in a law firm, if you're just a doctor or nurse in a hospital, if you're just a teacher at a university, if you're just an employee in a business, if you're just a lab assistant, you're not the CEO, how do you shape a culture? So there's a fabulous book called Finding Meaning in Life by Emily Esfahani Smith. And she tells the following study that was done of a large Midwestern hospital about the morale of the custodial and cleaning and janitorial staff. So the background is that in a hospital, custodians and cleaners and janitors are crucial because they're about clean. And you need clean for a hospital. There's a big study which ascertained the following question and answer the following question. How do they feel about their work? How do janitors in a hospital, how do custodians in a hospital, how do the people who sweep the floor in a hospital feel about coming to work? What shapes their morale? And there was a very striking finding that emerged, which was that they have a very high morale when they feel seen and valued and heard, and that they're part of a team, and they have a very low morale when they feel invisible. And this is what the study found. If a cleaner is cleaning and you walk past them and don't acknowledge them, they feel unseen, low morale. If a cleaner is cleaning and you walk past them and say, oh, how are you? They have a very low morale, they don't feel seen. But if you say, how are you, Ben? Ben, how are you doing today? Even better yet, if you know that Ben has a kid and you say, Ben, how is your son Ralph doing? They feel seen and valued and heard, and the morale is really high. Here's another simple thing. The cleaner is mopping the floor. This comes out as a recurrent theme. Cleaner's mopping the floor. If a doctor or a nurse or a patient or a family member just walks on the floor while they're mopping it, they feel unseen, low morale. They're mopping the floor, and you're walking, and you see that, and you respect their work product, and you walk around to respect their work product. They feel seen. They have high morale. This is not rocket science, people. And you don't have to be the CEO. If you want a work culture that is a counter world to toxic, all it takes is seeing hearing, valuing, and lavishing basic decency upon the people that you work with? Are you now living in that kind of a healthy work counterworld? Here's the third counterworld. This is just so important. A regular prayer space. A regular prayer space. And here's why this is so important. Recently, a family started coming to this temple, the Temple Emmanuel in Newton, Mass., that is not Jewish. Husband, wife, two young kids. And they're coming around. And they're coming to Friday night services. And they're coming to Saturday services. 
And when they come to Saturday services, they get here before 9.30, and they stay till noon. They're not Jewish. <laughs> and they don't know Hebrew. So, and I'm meeting with the father, the husband. Uh, he's on a journey. So I said, you know, tell me, I thank you, love that you're here, and love that you're here before 9.30. Uh, but what do you get out of a service that's in Hebrew if you don't know Hebrew? He says, I don't know Hebrew, but I do know the vibe, the vibe of Shabbat morning. The vibe of Shabbat morning is nobody's on their phone, nobody's doing email, nobody's striving, seeking, conquering, nobody's acquiring. People are sitting and thinking, and they're sitting and thinking with their friends and their family and the people that they love. And I was thinking, when and where am I ever just sitting and thinking and being with the people that I love? And the only answer I got is sure. Yeah. So here's your third counter world. Can you find a counter world, a prayer space, where you can just sit and be with the ones that you love. And now comes the final counter world. It's the most important counter world. I mean, don't get me wrong, a gym is a very important counter world. A workplace suffused with menschlichkeit, this is such an important counter world. A regular prayer space, oh my God, such an important counter world. But the most important counter world of all is this beautiful world called home. And here's the question. Is your home a beautiful counter world to a toxic world? So I saw such an example. I just could not wait to tell this story in this sermon of what a beautiful counter world looks like. A few weeks ago, Something happened in our community that's very unusual, very exceptional. I almost can't remember another time that it happened, which is a granddaughter sat shiva for her grandmother. Now, in Jewish law, according to halacha, one does not even sit shiva for a grandparent. You sit shiva for parents, not for grandparents. But this member of ours wanted to sit shiva for her grandmother, not because it was required by law, but because it flowed from her heart. This was a gesture of love, a labor of love. So go to the Shiva, and she tells the following story. Just love this story. When she and her husband and two very small children moved to Newton, her grandmother, that is to say, her children's great-grandmother, is 83 years old and is living in Connecticut. And here's what she does. She drives herself two and a half hours from Connecticut to Newton to help with the daily rounds. She feeds the kids dinner. She cleans up from dinner. She gives the kids a bath. She brushes their teeth. She gets them in pajamas. She puts them in bed. She gets them water. She gets them a snack. She tells them a story. She sings them Shema. She turns off the light. She comes downstairs and says, can I do the laundry now? 
She does the laundry and says, what else can I do? And she does that from 83 through all the young years of her great-grandchildren's lives. Roll the film forward. She passes at 101 years old. And the granddaughter wants to sit Shiva for her grandmother because that is what love looks like. What goes around comes around. And even though she wasn't required, it was a gift of love because this great-grandmother had created a counterworld of love and grace and that did not leave this world when she left this world. What kind of counterworld of love and grace do you have at home? For our physical selves, for our spiritual selves, at work and at home, what counterworlds of love and grace are you creating? Toxic is just so 2018. In 2019, let's create a better word for a better world. Shabbat shalom.